Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is good to see y'all today. Grace and peace. Um, Pastor Kurt sends his regrets this morning. He has an early doctor's appointment and not going to be able to make it to be with us today. And so we will uh, trudge forward. Uh, keep him in your prayers for sure. Um, one of my practices that I try to do most days is to read a psalm a day. And maybe y'all heard me talk about that. And so uh, keep track. And um, today is Psalm 39 day. And um, I think it's very fitting for the time of the, the period of David's life that we're in now. I mean, would you agree with the statement uh, that life is gained or lost in the trenches of adversity? What do you think? I mean, the reality of challenges and difficulties in our life, it's just a reality. It's just the way it is. Show me a life where things always go smooth and somebody's putting up a big ruse, right? How we respond to those challenges, it's what makes makes us or breaks us, right? And what we're going to be covering today, uh, these names keep popping up. I mean, what are some of the, 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 the big names that... Uh, has interacted with David through his through his story. I mean, Joab. You know, we always get oh, oh Joab, and um, who else? Who? Absalom, his son. Bathsheba. Yeah, there's these kind of and actually uh, some of the most consequential names we've never even heard of before. Shimmy is one of those. And we're going to unpack Shimmy's story today. Mephibosheth is another one. And he kind of creeps his head back up again for just a second here today that we've already actually covered. And so we'll just uh, review that briefly. But um, Psalm 39 is just one of those psalms that's like, we find David in the trench, right? And David in this psalm is trying to do his best to be his best in the trench, and unfortunately, sometimes these psalms don't translate to life in David. And so that's why they're here, is so that we can see how they didn't translate in somebody's life, but how they can in ours, right? Psalm 39, let's pray. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So I remained utterly silent, not even saying anything good, but my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. While I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, Lord, my life's end. And the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere hand breath. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom, 
in vain. They rush about heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth, for you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. I have overcome by the blow of your hand. When you rebuke and discipline anyone for their sin, you consume their wealth like a moth. Surely everyone is but a breath. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as all my ancestors were. Look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. Amen. And that last line is something, isn't it? Yeah. Look away from me that I may enjoy life again. <laughs> These psalms sometimes don't end in a good spot, right? When would it ever be good for God to turn his face away from us? You have lost your way uh, if you start praying something like that. You have lost your... It's like we live at the mercy of our ideas about God. And if our ideas about God are wrong, which David, at the end of this psalm, has gotten to this place, he's just lost it, right? Uh, and it will make all the difference if we have them wrong. And so just kind of keep Psalm 39 hanging on you today as we uh, plow through uh, this uh, story here in, uh, in 2 Samuel 16. Let's go over there. Okay, if you remember from uh, last week, uh, David was leaving Jerusalem. Uh, his son Absalom had uh, was now the king. I mean, there's people calling him King Absalom. And so David, uh, for all practical purposes, is no longer the king in the eyes of many. So he's having to run from his life. Remember, he is headed east, uh, down the Kidron Valley, and up on the mountain of, Mount of Olives. Um, one of the things I found, I've never been to Jerusalem. Who, who has been? Yeah, a few of you have. You, get, you have a big advantage over us. But one of the things that I've done is I've spent a lot of time on Google Maps just looking. And so you, as you look and you just get a sense of where these valleys are that surround Jerusalem, and it just really kind of helps to get in your mind like where the Temple Mount is, that's kind of where everything flows out from. And uh, you just get a sense that when you're standing on the Temple Mount, straight east is the Kidron Valley and the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, things like that. So David is headed to the east. He's running for his life. And uh, that's where we get that's where we get to uh, at the beginning of chapter 16. When David had gone a short distance, and literally, we, we get skewed 
in West Texas. We had a, an exchange student that lived with us for a year. Uh, and she was from the Czech Republic, and she was so confused, like early on. I lived in Kroll, and three hours away was Dallas. And a lot of times we would have our people that would be in the hospital in Dallas, and so we would make a day trip to go see them in the hospital and do a few things in the big city, right? She was so confused by that. She would say, you go three hours and you come back same day. Our family drives three hours. We stay a month. (laughs) Yeah, it's like completely different perspective. And so as David's moving along here, it is literally a short distance that David has made it before this interaction. It's like basically basically down the valley and maybe up a little bit because we know uh, at um, verse 5 that Barium, it's still not even a half a mile away from Jerusalem. So when David had gone a short distance beyond the summit, there was Zeba. Remember, Zeba's a bad guy. Uh, the steward of Mephibosheth. Remember, Mephibosheth is the... Uh, um, the uh, family member of Saul, that David wanted to show kindness to Saul's family for whose sake? Remember? Jonathan's sake. That's right. And so Mephibosheth, he was no threat because he was crippled in both feet. And Mephibosheth was fed and taken care of by David. Ziba was the person in charge of him. But it seems very clear here that Ziba has other things in mind. Ziba had a string of donkeys saddled and loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 cakes of raisins, 100 cakes of figs, and a skin of wine. The king asked Ziba, why have you brought these? Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on. The bread and the fruit are for the men to eat. And the wine is to refresh those who become exhausted in the wilderness. How thoughtful, you say. Right? Chaos is broken out in Jerusalem. Ziba is basically wanting to try to protect and consolidate his position with the king. And so he gathers up all this stuff, goes and takes it to David. This is for all of us. All right. The king then asks, Where is your master's grandson? Master is Saul, grandson is Mephibosheth. Ziba said to him, he is saying, staying in Jerusalem because he thinks today the Israelites will restore me to my grandfather's kingdom. Then the king said to Ziba, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. I humbly bow, Ziba said. May I find favor in your eyes, my lord the king. And what we learn later is that this is a lie. Most likely this is a lie. This is uh, Ziba being cunning, uh, trying to take what is not his uh, and to get David to give it to him by this act of generosity and by telling the lie that Mephibosheth is staying back for the purpose that he is. Now, it's kind of hard to see through all the truths and the lies in the uh, in this cycle of David's life. Um, but I do think that Mephibosheth is the one that's telling the truth, and Ziba seems the one that is that is lying. Any questions on this? We've kind of already covered it. All right, let's keep moving. As uh, okay, let's get over here. 
Verse 5. As King David approached Bariam, still going east, a man from the same clan as Saul's family. So Mephibosheth, Saul's family. This man, Shimei, is from Saul's family. Right? Decades ago, Saul committed suicide, right? One would think all of that would be in the past. Ooh, no. <laughs> Tribal people, it is hard for things to die in them. And so, and you've heard Pastor Kurt say this repeatedly, that David was not as popular as everybody makes David out to be, especially in the north. Um, even though the tribe of Benjamin was in the south, uh, for whatever reason, uh, Saul gained much, a lot of popularity in the north. And people hold on to that. It's like David was begrudgingly their king, right? Like you, you'll hear people say, uh, Biden is not my president. And I just laugh at that. It's like, yeah, he is. You just, you just can't, if you're an American and you're a U.S. citizen, he is, you just can't just arbitrarily, that's the same thing. Uh, David, he's not my king. But yeah, he is your king. But the second there is weakness, it's like, man, I'm coming after you. And that's what we get uh, with Shimmy here. His name was Shimmy, son of Gerar. And he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones. Through all the troops and the special guard were on David's right and left. And whoever the shimmy guy is, you got to give him some credit. He has got some serious courage. Uh, David may be on the run. David may have lost the throne. But man, he's got all these people in Shimmy knows, and we're going to see that here in a second. Shimmy knows what David is capable of. It's like all of this built up anger and animosity, a little weakness is shown, and Shimmy, literally out of nowhere, is letting it all hang out. Verse 7 As he, as he cursed, Shimmy said, Get out. Get out, you murderer, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a murderer. You ever have somebody come uncorked on you and they start telling you everything that is wrong with you? As Shimmy is doing here. How much of it was true? How much was it of it was a lie? Right? Is Shimmy wrong? I think he is. Huh? I think he is. In what way? So David says you murder. Paying back from bloodshed in Saul's plan. He didn't really kill anybody in Saul's plan. I mean, he did fight against Saul's army with the Philistines. Yeah. But he, he, was, he never killed Saul. He could have. He could have. Yeah. Very good. He killed Jonathan, which was the heir of the throne. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think he's off. I think he's off. All right. Anybody, anybody want to offer the contrary argument to that? <laughs> and so, so he he is a murderer, but is did he murder the people? And I, and I think I see it's 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 like some of both. And I think that's why you kind of have to like, okay, are you are you are you really on the uh, saying the right things? You know, David had a dream, and it was it happened to be a, I thought a very noble dream. He had a dream to build the temple for the Lord, and y'all remember why God said, "Nope," because you've got blood on your hands. You are a man of blood. So in some ways, Shimei is not wrong, but in the way, you know, David, he went out of his way and suffered a lot to preserve Saul's life. Remember, I will not put one hand, how would he, how would he say, talk about Saul? On the Lord, on the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to do that. And uh, yeah, he, he really worked hard at that. But... Just cue to the way he wants it to be perceived. Shimmy is? Yeah, I think so. Cherry picking reality. Hmm. It's good. It's interesting. Uh, God gets blamed for a lot of things. Um, and sometimes God's not the one responsible for the things that happen, right? Um, Shimmy is basically saying God's done this, and I don't know. Maybe David's actions, as we've been talking about his relationship with Absalom, maybe that's the problem, right? Any questions? All right. This is a side note. One thing there is never a short of in. Jerusalem and in Judea and Israel is rocks. There is never a shortage of rocks. So uh, Shimei is just picking up his uh, what's what's available to him uh, to throw at him and uh, doing a good job. Then Abishai, son of Zuriai, said to the king, "Why should this dead dog?" Curse my lord, the king. So David's people who are loyal to him, they're still acknowledging him as king. Um, let me go over there and cut off his head. Wow. But the king said, it would kind of go right into to Shimmy's narrative, right? To, to go do that. <clears throat> but the king said, what does this have to do with you? You sons of Zuriai, if he is cursing because the Lord said to him, Curse David, who can ask, Why do you do this? And so, one of the things that David does, um, he does get introspective when things are going bad. And I think that's a positive thing. Um, it's like, he, he is getting into this place where, okay, I'm having to leave town, leave my throne at the hands of my own son, and then this guy, this nobody is chunking rocks at me and my men, and maybe, maybe, God's trying to teach me something through this. 
and he's not reactive. I think that's a good thing. Um, if you'll turn back to chapter 12, this is what remind, it reminds me of this, this part of the Shimmy story reminds me of the part of the Bathsheba cycle whenever he is, whenever David is praying that the child that, uh, that Bathsheba was pregnant with uh, as a result of his rendezvous with her, that he, that the child lives. And the uh, David's servants are like really confused as to why he was mourning uh, in sackcloth and ashes and praying and then as soon as the child dies he cleans himself up and is like okay back to work says verse 22 he answered while the child was still alive I fasted and I wept I thought who knows the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live but now that he is dead why should I go on fasting can I bring him back again I will go to him but he will not return to me and so it's like in the midst of of uh, adversity that David brings upon himself as a result of his sinful choices. When he when David slows down enough to realize, oh my gosh, it's my choices that have led to this, and he becomes introspective. I think David gets in a good place, right? And I think that's what he what he is here. I mean, golly. You're the most powerful man, well, probably now the second most powerful man in the nation, and you let somebody throw rocks at you. And you've got somebody willing to go and killing for you. And you say no? I think that shows a lot of restraint. Say that again? Well, I think we'll see in the next part of the story that I don't think it is. I think it's him trying to say, okay, maybe God is trying to show me something here. Um, and there's always this place when we find ourselves in a difficult spot to learn from it. And I think David is trying here to learn from it. And, and we'll see if that plays itself out in a second. So verse 11 again. Then David said to Abishai and all his officials, my son, my own flesh and blood. So, so now David is like, you could really easy, easily get distracted by the rocks. But David's kind of getting centered back into the issue. My son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. How much more then, this Benjamite, leave him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord has told him to do it. It may be that the Lord, and this is where the real connection back to chapter 12 is, it may be that the Lord will look upon my misery and restore me to his covenant blessing instead of his curse today. So I think David is trying through this difficult season to seek the Lord and to make sense of all that has happened and seeking for a restoration moment for sure. Verse 13. So David and his men continued along the road 
while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. The king and all the people with him arrived at their destination exhausted, and there he refreshed himself. Not sure where that destination was, uh, but it seems like that they most likely headed to the uh, east and then turned south, and uh, they arrived exhausted. Okay, so we're going to move forward, and we'll we'll come back and cover this, but we're just going to stay with Shimmy here. So long story short, a lot happens. Uh, Absalom dies, and David is able to come back and reassume the throne and to become king. So as he's coming back into town, guess who shows back up? Oh, Shimmy. He shows back up. All right. Chapter 19, verse 15. The king returned and went as far as the Jordan. Now the men of Judah had come to Gilgal to go out and meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. Shimei, son of Gerar, the Benjamite from Berum, hurried down with the men of Judah to meet King David. I'm telling you, this guy's got guts. He should have headed for the hills, never showed his face again. But he is gutsy. Verse 17, with him were a thousand Benjamites along with Ziba, the the steward of Saul's household, and his 15 sons and 20 servants. They rushed to the Jordan where the king was. They crossed at the ford to take the king's household over and do whatever he wished. When Shimei, son of Gerar, crossed the Jordan, he fell prostrate before the king. And he said to him, May the Lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord the King left Jerusalem. May the King be, may the King, uh, I'm sorry, may the King put it out of his mind, for I, your servant, know that I have sinned. But today I have come here as the first from the tribes of Joseph to come down and meet my Lord the King. Tribes of Joseph is code for the northern tribes. Um, there is not a tribe of Joseph. You know, that was one of uh, uh, Jacob's sons, Joseph. But remember, uh, Joseph had two sons, and they got uh, basically Joseph got a double share. And so those tribes, those two, they're called half tribes uh, Manasseh and anybody? Ephraim, yeah. And so that's why there's not a quote-unquote tribe of Joseph, because they got a double portion. But then it becomes code for all the northern tribes. Have come down and meet my lord the king. Then Abishai, son of Zuriai, said, this guy's like bloodthirsty, right? Shouldn't Shimei be put to death for this. He cursed the Lord's anointed. David replied, What does this have to do with you, you sons of Zuriai? What right do you have to interfere? 
Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Don't I know that today I am the king? You need to underline that. It is such a a powerful, powerful uh, declaration, in my in my opinion. It is like David has reached down to the depths of his soul and he has found out who he is. That regardless of all that has happened, regardless of, of the, the choices he has made, uh, he is still the king. And one would think you have to prove. After, after your son's taken over the throne, after basically a coup, and then there's a turn. There's a turn of events. He loses his life, and now you can go back and be king again. One would think you would have to make a statement. And wouldn't it be great to make a statement on a guy who threw rocks at you and humiliated you as you left town? Sure. David doesn't need it. I think that's the key word. He doesn't need it because he already knows who he is. Don't I know that today I am king over Israel? It could be one of the most profound moments of David's life right here. That in the carnage of all that has happened, he remembers who God has made him to be. So the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king promised him on an oath. Well, if you've got a different color highlighter, you need to highlight that, that one in a different color. It is like the verses that are back to back of each other, they represent the most beautiful part of David and the most slimy part of David back to back. You make an oath, a promise, not to kill someone. Well, you do. You keep the promise, right? We talked about this last week. Flip over to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 2. He's having a conversation. David is on his deathbed. He's having a conversation with, uh, with Solomon as he is preparing to uh, hand over the kingdom to him. Um, and he's telling, telling Solomon who to have some kindness over verse 7, but show kindness to the sons of, of uh, Barzilla of Gilead and let them be among those who eat at your table. They stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And if you kind of start thinking about what we've already covered, who did not stand by David when he fled from Absalom? Jimmy. And remember, you have with you Shimei, son of Gerar, the Benjamite from Barium, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Machanim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now, do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do. 
bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. The last words of David. Brent, going back to our conversation, was Shimmy right? <laughs> he was right. Uh, and what a tragic thing. And may this never be uh, with any of us that we are holding on to something. I mean, he had resolved this with the Lord. I am the king. doesn't matter what this guy from the tribe of Benjamin does. I'm good. But obviously, it ate his, his soul for the rest of his life, right? The very last, th- last words you utter is the death wish of one of your enemies. Tragic, right? I think it's tragic. What do y'all think? Couldn't let it go. No. No. You know, so it's also really significant that, that he, he put that on his son. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he didn't do this. He didn't do this when, you know, he could have... He could have had his men kill kill Shimmy, and it'd have been his choice. But now he's he's somehow saying he's trying to keep his hands clean by giving that death wish of Shimmy to his son. That's right. So really, that's he's kind of cursing his son with that. There you go. And <laughs> what else does this sound from? I mean, this this is like and Kurt's so good to remind us of this that this is like David's plan. This is David's the way that David operates. Uh, he kept his promise technically, right? But not really. I mean, hope and pray that we never, never find ourselves in that situation where we can, we can spin the truth to get what we want at the expense of our integrity, right? That's what David has done. He's, Joab does his dirty work for him all the time. So I think it's a very perception, perception, perceptive thing that you said there that, yeah, I'm not going to do this, but this is eating me alive, so you take care of it. Yeah, that's pretty bad. And so again, you know, David, like a, a, a surface reading of David's life would never surface this, right? Uh, David's hero, a giant slayer, uh, you know, in essence, especially early on, he's going to be the man. He is going to be the Messiah. He is going to save all of Israel. And then here he is at the end of his life, wishing the death. I mean, he basically becomes a Cain figure, right? A murderer. Did Solomon carry out the promise? You know, let's see. I don't, I, I don't think it says, but let's see. Uh. Hey, spell S H I M E I. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. Two verse thirty six. He went for shooting and told him to go out here in Jerusalem, but there, he'll step outside and say, "Give me a friend." 
outside the city. Yeah, there you go. So Shimmy did not make it. Yeah, first 44. Don't y'all love the spinning disc of death there? All right. Yeah. Yeah. King David was also acting like a king, telling his son whose enemies were who he needed to eliminate the main king. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Except that he's relying on himself to make Right. Hence, hence the conflict that's in David so much. Hence the conflict in me, and like, I, 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 it's easy to rag on my kids, um, you know, whenever they'll be expressing uh, anger or frustration uh, about one of their teachers or one of their classmates or something like, like that. And I'll remind them, remember, you know, because the way they're talking to me, it's like, ooh, all this energy, and at least in their mind, they have risen to the level of their enemy. And I will say, now remember what scripture teaches us to love our enemies, and to do good to them. And particularly one of my kids will look me right square in the eye and point his finger at me. Dad, don't pastor me up. <laughs> Dad, it doesn't work like that in the real world. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he snuffed that one out. Easy. Uh, so... Uh, See, but see how just as we've gone through that story today, we got to finish up. Gone through that story today, it's like, is the Lord involved? Yeah, parts of it, but whenever the story goes bad, the Lord is not involved. At the end of his life, when do you hear him invoking the name of the Lord? And so he's like, I agree with you, Ed. He's doing what kings do, but he's doing what worldly kings do. Consolidating his strength, communicating to his son, you got to watch out for this guy. It is going to be God and God alone that, that allows David or Solomon to hold on to the kingdom, right? And so it's not the, the life of one Benjamite that's going to do it. So, anything else for the good of the group? Hey, as a father, I certainly hope I don't leave here as much undone as what David did. It's a lot undone. It's a great, great, great word. I hope I don't leave as much undone as David did. And so much of what's in this, this part of David's story is meant to teach us exactly that. Uh, please have the conversations that need to be had. Please do not base your worth off of what people say or do not say. What people do to you or do not do to you. That's not where it matters. Um, let's pray together. So God is... Uh, we prepare to walk out of this room and head to our jobs and to our families and to our responsibilities. I pray
pray that you'll help us to walk with our heads held high, with our souls full of confidence, because we know who we are in you. And Lord, I pray that that will give us the courage to do the hard things, to have the hard conversations, to be the people that actually give life instead of take life. So God, to that end, we invite you today to walk with us and you take the lead. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Much love, gentlemen. Grace and peace.